Welcome back to Kavah the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. On March 20th of each year, the United Nations celebrates International Day of Happiness. They host a breathtaking event featuring artists, musicians, and speakers, all of whom have been handpicked because they embody happiness. In 2016, they invited a speaker who ignited the room with her energy. She bounced onto the stage, beaming with laughter and love. The audience leaned in eager to hear this woman's secret to happiness. They would never have expected her next words. When I was a little girl, I was raised in foster homes, actually. Basically, I was raised in foster homes because my parents were both uh, addicted to drugs and my mother was schizophrenic. And so very early on, I learned like what is suffering and I learned the very opposite of, of happiness. Dasha Makona's path to happiness has been anything but normal. Today on Kavah, she invites us to join her on that path, to look behind and to look ahead. Dashima's unusual story starts with her first memory. So I have a memory, actually a very, very interesting memory, like strong uh, ability to remember times when people otherwise I think most people don't remember those times so like I remember the the vision that I had of being in my mother's womb which is a very interesting memory and then I've had like I said memories of past lives so that was even before this life but I think just in terms of this life I remember the the vision that I had about being in the womb it was like it, it had to do with healing because I used to have a lot of eating like an eating disorder I guess you could say and I think a lot of people have eating disorders I think right. most people don't realize even they don't even label it anymore because everybody basically has eating disorders but right. basically I have a very strange relationship to food like I would right. um, like I would have all these food allergies and then I, I would get all these digestive problems and you know so I was I was trying to figure out what is the root of that so I did a past life or it was an inner child vision quest uh, regression and I was able to have a memory of being in my mother's womb and the relationship to her own eating disorder I guess say or like her relationship to food because she was always so like uh, controlling around it like it needed to be this perfect thing and and she um like she didn't want it she, she was really really against gaining weight so she was very like particular about how much you know, she would eat and stuff. So, so just like having a memory of feeling her relationship to that helped understand where the root of my own dysfunction had come from. And it was a really beautiful experience because then I was able to actually let it go, which was the purpose of it. So, oh, I can see why, you know, and it wasn't like, this is something I'm stuck with, but it was more like, okay, now I'm going to consciously choose another way. 
Dashima's choices have never been determined by others. She has bravely chosen to create a path for herself, regardless of the obstacles. Well, do you have any favorite childhood memories of growing up and traveling? You had a lot of traveling. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, actually I do. Um, I remember when my little sister, I have a, I have three sisters, but one little one, and um, I'm the second from youngest. And so I remember those days. And um, But one of my favorite memories of a child as a child was when we used to live in this rural area of Northern Florida, and it was by this beautiful three rivers estate. So there were three rivers. They come together in one place, and it's a very special place, very um, sacred land. And anyway, we used to go to the river like every day. And I re I learned so much from the river, honestly. And I, and I told this story to someone the other day and I'll tell it to you. Um, one of my favorite memories, uh, very interesting memory. So in the river, there were actually alligators and some children had been eaten by these alligators, but we were like these fearless little children, you know? So I was kind of like, anytime I would have a fear, my first inclination was to move into the fear instead of like run from it. And so I remember we were we would um, float down the river on these inner tubes, but sometimes we didn't have enough money for the inner tube. So we would actually just float down without anything, just floating in the river by ourselves, like little kids in the river. But I remember it was freezing, like the water is fresh water. So it's like really, really cold and fresh. Um, but I just remember floating down the river, like talking myself through this fear saying you know you're gonna be okay you're fine just breathing through it and you know when you're looking around and sometimes like a log can look like an alligator so it was like really terrifying but at the same time very liberal because I was proving to my own self I feel like that I that I I'm gonna be fine no matter what you know so like everything you know the fear is just in the mind and so like early on I was teaching myself that and the river taught me that and the alligator taught me that and um, anyway, so I, it sounds like a funny like thing to think that that's my favorite memory, but it's just like that memory comes back to me so much because it was like the beginning of a lifelong relationship that I have with, you know, really facing fears and moving towards them instead of running from them. And then letting those be vehicles of transformation and elevation and, you know, conscious, you know, awakening. But as Dashima shared in her speech at the United Nations, alligators were the least of her troubles. So that was pretty significant, your mom having, did, she had mental health issues. Is that what you were saying? So it was interesting because she, she was like back in the 70s, you know, everybody was doing a lot of different types of drugs and experimenting with things. And so back then, I think they, they really felt that cocaine was a great thing you know 70s and 80s especially in the 1980s cocaine was the big thing so my mom was really into to cocaine for a while and then she was mixing it with cocaine and peyote which is a medicine plant from the native american shaman and then alcohol so it was like alcohol cocaine and peyote really bad combination and i actually remember i was there that day i was with her because me and my mother were very close and i was like her right hand you know, a little sidekick. And so I was there with her that day when she, she like lost her mind and she never got it back. It was just like, really it was black and white. It was like night and day because before that she was really like amazing. Like she was an artist and she used to spend all day like hand making 
pasta to make lasagna. It would take her like eight hours to make the noodles, the sauce, this. She grew everything in her own garden. I mean, she was like really incredible, beautiful person. Like she would hand make all of our clothing. She had four children and she was sewing with a needle and thread. She didn't have a sewing machine. She just loved to provide for us. She was the best mother in that way. Like you could think of like, like the best mother, that would be her. You know, she was just loving. Like we would just all pile in the bed together with her and cuddle. And, you know, she was a really wonderful person. And then it was just bizarre. All of a sudden, one day, just black and white and then night and day. And then she just never got her mind back. And then it was crazy. Like I remember what happened. She actually thought my father was an imposter and she kicked him out. The government had abducted her husband. And it became this whole story about she she developed these other personalities. She even gave herself new name. She gave us children different names as well. I ended up with like two or three different names. One of the most beautiful things about my conversation with Dashima was her ability to tell two stories at once. My heart broke for her. She shared the pain of her childhood. But then she would also tell the story of how she worked through that pain as an adult. For each experience, Dashma has two perspectives. She remembers her young self with compassion, but she also sees the good that has come from her pain. She knew how deeply it would hurt me, and like it literally took me my whole life dedicated to being a healer, healing myself, and dedicating my life to helping people with their own mental health and healing. And, and then it, you know, it resulted in a really great impact for the world, and I've reached you know, a hundred millions of people. Um, I've been able to really help so many people from this experience. And I don't think I would have been driven if it wouldn't have been so deeply painful. Right. Yeah. So whenever that happened, you went into foster care. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Well, it was, there was like a process, like she lost her mind and then she kicked my dad out and then she actually, it's a crazy story. She actually had a big crush on this cocaine dealer in Colombia. She had discovered him. He was on the evening news because his cocaine cartel was getting busted by the FBI or something like that. She found out about him and she fell in love with this guy, Carlos Later. He was like famous at the time on, on the TV for being a cocaine lord. And she's like, we're going to Colombia. And so she decided, <laughs> she packed us oh. little girls four little girls into a car and we took a road trip for six months trying to get down to Columbia because she was like so sure that this was going to be the Mecca of all Mecca but we never made it to Columbia we ended up on a whole adventure it was a whole nother story but basically um they stopped us in Guatemala because our passports were expired and they um they they detained us and they wouldn't let us continue and then I guess there had been some kind of alert out in the Central American police and stuff that we were missing and that um, my father and my grandparents actually were looking for us and they were smart enough like a message out to like the Central American police somehow so they they found us they shipped us back to the U.S. we got deported and then that's when they put us into foster homes they took us away from our parents at that point oh wow and so did you grow up in foster care for the until you aged out of the system 
Kind of, you know, it's an interesting story how, how it happened. It was like, I don't know why. And I, maybe it's like this for a lot of children that go into the foster care, but we moved around a lot. Like there were very few homes that we stayed more than a few months. I was always in a school. I was always, I never got to keep a consistent friend circle because I was always moving, you know, you know, so it was interesting because in one way it was cool. Like I got to meet a lot of people, but none of them really stayed in touch because I was always like going to a new school and always being the new girl is kind of hard, you know, cause you never really have that like deep, you know, that much of a deep bond with the, with the kids and stuff. And then also the homes that we were in, some of them were better than others, but mostly like you could tell that they were predominantly, you know, doing this as a way to make extra money. So some of them really didn't care to, you know, they just have like a bunch of kids in their house and they would be making the extra money. There was a few that seemed like they cared, but for the most part, it was very strange um, and traumatizing. And I remember it was very painful for me. I was crying a lot during that time. But I was also, you know, like, so we were in and out of different homes, different schools. Despite being separated from her parents, Dashima held on to the hope that they still loved her. It turned out that she was right, even though her parents' love looked a little bit different. And it was interesting because my parents had this um, just indomitable will to get us back somehow. So even though they were declared unfit by the courts, they actually um, kept petitioning to get us back. So one time my mom did get us back and we went to live with my mom again. And then she, you know, she was still an alcoholic and she still had schizophrenia. So it was an interesting decision that the courts said, yeah, okay, we'll give it a shot. So we were um, in school and then I remember one of the one one girl um, punched my sister in the nose in the bathroom and broke her nose. And uh, my mother got really pissed. She came up to the school and she was swear she was drunk and she was swearing at the at the principal, saying, "How could you let this happen to my daughter?" And she was like, kind of being like violent in a way, you know. So they arrested her. And so because she got arrested, you know, we ended right. up back in foster care, of course, because they don't like let you be with someone that's being arrested. So. That was like her one shot at keeping us, you know, and she messed it up with, but she was protecting her daughter. So I can see where she, but you can't show up drunk and violent and think it's going to be, you know, a good option. So then we got taken back and we were in foster care again for like another year or so. And then my dad tried to get us back and um, that was, that was a little better attempt, but he still, he was addicted to crack at the time. It was interesting. Like he, after cocaine, they both transitioned to crack because it's cheaper. So they had to run out of money. So both my parents had inherited like what would be the equivalent of millions of dollars from their deceased grandparents. And they just spent it all. They just wasted it all on drugs. It was just such an incredible story to see how, what not to do. You know, that was like, I did learn some beautiful things from my parents. Like my dad, for example, he went through all of his trials and tribulations and, and wrong, wrong decisions and addictions and all that. For the most part, you know, it was like we were living with my dad. He was doing crack and uh, it was just not working very well. And, and we basically we gave him an ultimatum. When I was 12 years old, we, we like we told him, we said, we're going to go visit our aunt in South Dakota. And when we get back, we want you to have a job and we want food in the in the in the in the refrigerator. And that's wow. our chance to stay with you. We were like, right. getting, we were getting more <laughs> So like stronger at this point we're like we're having some boundaries you know we're not just gonna like put up with this anymore 
So we told him that we went and, and uh, we went to go visit my mother's sister in South Dakota for like a couple months and um, for the summer. And it was crazy. Like when we and, and it was interesting because when we were there, we got to experience what would be considered, I guess you could say, like a normal life. Like we had always food, like, you know, like everyone in the household yeah. was predominantly very loving and kind. And you know, it was like kind of this like normal life, like a suburban, you know, right. American uh, my, my my aunt is a social worker and my my uncle is like a good uh, a plumber you know so they were just like normal people right and right. Uh, so we normalcy and then and then we were like okay so we're going back to see if dad was able to accomplish the two tasks you know so we went back and uh not only did he not accomplish our only two tasks that we required but he had um sold my sister's bike and her stereo that she worked all summer to purchase to buy mm. crack. And, um, and then we had this like tiny little savings account that we had opened from like money that we got from birthdays over the years. It was like $500 and he had drained our account as well. So we were like, okay, we're out of here. And we just, I, I always look at it like we divorced my father in that sense that we were like, we're not staying here. We're leaving. And we just, we didn't even know where we were going to go, but we just knew we couldn't be there and we just couldn't trust that um, that energy. And so we just left. This deep betrayal forced Dashima and her sisters to make another conscious choice, the choice to start their own life. What amazes me is that somehow Dashima was able to continue loving her father. Instead of being fueled by anger, Dashima reflects on the things she loved about her dad. You know, one thing he taught me is uh, just like unconditional love, because even when my mother had lost her mind, became violent, kicked him out, he always loved her. And it was interesting. Even to this day, I don't think he ever found anyone ever again that he loved like he loved her. So it was interesting, like to, to just witness that true level of love and unconditional love, even though they didn't get to stay together. She passed away. They both had their separate um, journey. But in the end, like. That was his one true love. So that was really beautiful to learn from them. And so a new chapter of Dashima's life began. We went to my sister's friend's house for a couple of days and we were like, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're just going to like hope that somebody's going to open their home to us. And um, it really was interesting how it worked out. So my aunt that we had sp spent that summer with is my, my mother's adopted sister. Um, she, she said she would take two of us. And then um, my uncle, my dad's father in New York took one, of the children and then the other one was 16 and she was like living with her boyfriend at the time so she had a place so we split up we went to live with these like so it was kind of still like foster homes you know because they weren't like obviously our parents but um it was interesting and it was interesting because the the aunt that we ended up me and one of my sisters lived in South Dakota with her and she had always wanted an orphanage that was like her lifelong dream like she has this like angelic heart like she taught me she taught me what is compassion you know because it was just like literally her whole life dream was to have an orphanage and what wow. a, what a, she ended up fulfilling that dream in a way because she she had a child of her own biologically she adopted a child then she married a man that had two children already and then she ended up with these two foster children so she had a whole uh, orphanage basically at the house and um so that's what happened, and we ended up, I ended up going to um, high school up there. Okay. This aunt took Dashima under her wings and taught her how to fly. 
when I was like 12 or 13, my aunt gave me this book that was, it was called How to Be Like Women of Influence. And it was the 20 greatest women of the 20th century. And in that book, it was like Oprah and Mother Teresa and Amelia Earhart and Eleanor Roosevelt and Princess Diana, all of the greatest women of the 21st century or the 20th century. And um, Uh I just remember, because I was like, I'm going to be like them. I just knew. I'm like, this is what I'm doing with my life. I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be a woman who people look up to one day. And um, that book shaped my life in so many ways, uh, as well as some other books. But that one, for sure. And so even as a kid, I kind of, I knew. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to exactly be doing. But I knew I was going to be speaking. I knew I was going to be inspiring people. And I knew that that story of what I was going through was going to play a role in it. So at the time, I was able to kind of still look at it objectively and be like, all right, this is what's happening right now, but this all isn't right. the, this is not the end of this story. Dashma loves being a human, despite the terrible things we humans do to each other sometimes. She has every right to be bitter, but instead she chooses to love. So what is your life like today? You, you've come through a whole lot. Right. You know, it's interesting because I think about how some of those early experiences did shape me in a way like one of the things that I feel definitely got ingrained from all of that was this feeling of universal love and just a love for humanity at large. And and so, I mean, I have personal interpersonal love as well, but like my greater driving force of all the work that I do and all all that I do, it, it really stems from this feeling that we have this human family. So it's like one human family. We are all, like, you know, extensions of each other. We're all part of, we're all interconnected. And that it is truly my driving motivation and inspiration in, in life to be of service, to make the world a better place, to help bring healing into the world. Um, there was a long time I was working with children and families. And then I started to just branch out to all different, obviously, all different age groups and stuff. But, you know, just like the recognition that that early experience, it wasn't happening to me, right? It was happening for me, but it was really not even about me at all. But just like the teaching of that, that we're all one human family and, and it led to my humanitarian work. It led me to my life purpose and the and the work that I do. So my life now, I mean... It's really like every day, you know, for, for the past 15 years, especially, uh, is a being of service. You know, I have so many things that I've created, right? Like I have a school, so I certify um, yoga teachers, energy healers, people that help um, with mental health and healing. I uh, have online courses. I've written books. I got to, um, you know, speak at the United Nations for International Day of Happiness. I, I was inducted into the Stanford Happiness Hall of Fame. Um, oh, wow. So I feel like part of my life purpose is really to just, you know, bring happiness to the world and show people that, you know, like it doesn't matter whatever you went through was really mm. like priming, you know, priming us or priming you or teaching the lessons needed for the soul to evolve and expand to fulfill the purpose of your life. So, like that's my big message is that you know everything is possible. We are limitless beings and that we can heal from anything and whatever that we go through can actually be, you know, seen through a new lens as opportunities and as really like shaping us into the great beings that we're here to be 
if we choose to see it that way. So that's yeah. my big message for the world. Awesome. So is that what you want people to take away from your story? Absolutely. Like my favorite response when people hear about my story is in, when they're inspired uh, mm-hmm. to be able to get through their own hard times, you know, because like otherwise, like I know other people in my life who had a hard childhood and they never talk about it. The only reason, the only purpose to talk about it is if it's going to be helpful. You know, I'm not, I don't really like love talking about it. It's not like something I want to like right. revisit past, you know, but if it can be helpful, if I can show people, because sometimes somebody might see my life now. I mean, I have really an extraordinary life. I travel the world. I've been traveling the world for like 15 to 20 years, um, full time doing my work, you know, as a teacher, as a speaker, um, and, uh, just living the most extraordinary life. I mean, I've been to the most beautiful places. I've been invited to this wonderful world stages uh, to share to share my message and you know to inspire people with that. And 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 like you know, I have a very playful energy, so I, I actually have a lot of fun and uh, you know have some incredible, beautiful friends around the world. Dashima has inspired millions of people around the world with her perspective and her strength. Now she's writing a book to preserve her story for many years to come. So my new book is called The Flow State, but it's really like this this journey of coming from like what's the opposite of flow, like trauma, being blocked, like how being abandoned, like having nothing. Like I was blocked to the point of like extreme, and then I I discovered through this journey what is flow and how to connect to the infinite source of life which allows us to live in flow. And, um, and there's certain like universal laws and principles that I've learned along the way that have been really helpful for that. So I've been writing this book and uh, I'm going to be writing it later this year. Okay. So your book will come out later in 2021. Yeah. I have a, um, a free chapter for anybody who's watching, uh, listening. If you want to get it, you can, it's, it's theflowstate.co, theflowstate.co, and you can download a free chapter of that book. It's universal law of intention. And in that um, chapter, I also go over like how to script your ideal day, your ideal life, your, you know, you can do it for this year only or for the next 10 years, but really scripting and being intentional about your life and creating this, you know, dream life because everybody has that power and potential. So if we can be more intentional, we can create an extraordinary life. And that's what that chapter is all about. I also have another uh, another free gift if people want to try it. It's a seven-day flow challenge. It's free, okay. and it's at theflowstate.tv. And that one is also, it's like seven videos that help people to, like, release blocks to the flow. That's awesome. And where can people find you? I'm pretty much everywhere, you know. I, I actually, um, I'm on social media pretty much every day. YouTube, I've, I've been on YouTube for a long time, I have lots of videos on there if people want to go to my youtube all of my social media is under my name dashama so it's d-a-s-a-m-a and youtube facebook instagram i have twitter as well tiktok i'm on platforms and also my website dashama.com okay it's dashama.com is your website yeah okay awesome well thank you so much Dashima has continued to travel the world and share her message, even in the midst of our worldwide crisis. When I called her, she was in Bali, Indonesia. Many of you may be wondering how Dashima continues to stay happy 
during these frightening times. I was too. How has the pandemic affected you in Bali? Are you on lockdown? You know, I was in Hawaii before this oh, and before okay. that LA. So during the lockdown, I was in LA, Hawaii, and now Bali. So in some ways, affected me because I was supposed to have a, a group of people come to Bali. We were going to be doing a training um, in January, a yoga teacher training retreat, and they were all ready to come. And then the UK locked down really hard this January, and right. we basically, um, you know, so they we're going to do it in March. So little things like that have been an issue just in terms of to be able to move forward with things, and and a lot of my work to depend on travel. And, uh, but we've transitioned a, tra a lot of the work um, online. So now I have my right. full yoga teacher training is online. People can become certified as teachers and healers um, through the program. And actually, I have a free webinar if anybody wants to find out more about that. It's at pranashama.com. And it's also at flowstate.yoga. So both of those will take you to the free webinar. But basically, you know, my mission is really to help people to not only heal themselves, but also if, you, if you're feeling called to it, to become a part of the the team here and like help heal the world so that's my mission here it was interesting because i was thinking about like what what is the the biggest thing that humanity can focus on right right now and uh, especially right now with the lockdowns but in general just humanity as we evolved as a family together and it was interesting because i always felt this and this is part of my teaching but Sadhguru confirmed it and Sri Sri Ravi Shankar also said the same thing which is you know, as we focus on our own inner happiness, our own inner joy, self-love, this, this feeling of, you know, within the, the happiness and the joy and, and the love all being within us and um, that that being our true nature is that as we focus on that, then everything in the world actually will fall into place. All of the solutions are there. Happiness, joy, fulfillment is there. We don't need anything outside of ourselves to be complete. I feel like that's like such an important message I just wanted to share. In a way, Dashima has always been in tomorrow. Her ability to look ahead, even when the present is painful, amazes me. So when you were a little girl, did you ever imagine that your life would be like it is today? You know what's interesting? It's such a good question because I have always been kind of psychic and so when I was a little girl I, I like I'm very like visual visionary and when I was a little girl I could see myself as an adult and I would see myself speaking on stages like inspiring people like with my story like I knew that as a kid was going to wow. be what I'm going to do but like back wow. then you know, a kid and I had to go through all the stuff but I just knew that's what I was going to do that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I, you're very inspirational. It's awesome that you've gone through so much and you are so happy and beautiful. Thanks again for listening to Kava the podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures in podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavapodcast.com. 
That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.